0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Meant to Be. This is our premiere episode of season two, and we are so excited to be back. For those who are new here, I'm Julia, the founder of Meant Projects, a mentorship business that aims to enhance career journeys through innovative and collaborative projects. Meant to be is our podcast series where every week we feature professionals from various fields to learn about their journey and highlight the opportunities that these fields have to offer. In our conversations, we break down each step of our guest's academic and career path from high school all the way to their current role. We look at the different challenges and decisions that they faced that contributed to their growth and shows how their career is meant to be. Season one included guests from many industries, including forensic science, kinesiology, and tech. This season, we have another six episodes featuring guests from very interesting fields with unique paths. In today's episode, we are joined by Professor Helen Tran, professor at the University of Toronto in the Department of Chemistry, cross-appointed in chemical engineering. Helen received a Bachelor of Science with a major in chemistry and a minor in chemical engineering from UC Berkeley in California. After graduating, Helen worked as a scientific engineering assistant at the Molecular Foundry, which then led to her PhD in chemistry at Columbia University in New York. Helen then worked as a postdoctorate fellow in the chemical engineering department at Stanford University before becoming an assistant professor at U of T. Helen's experience brings great insight from attending top-tier schools in the U.S. all the way to becoming a professor. The path to becoming a professor has always seemed so linear to me because there are usually very specific steps—bachelors, PhD, and postdoc— But this conversation with Helen helped show that there is much more to it in terms of finding your passion and defining success for yourself. So now, telling us how her journey is meant to be, it is Professor Helen Tran. Helen, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on Meant to Be. How are you?
1: Very good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited
0: because this is actually our premiere episode of season two.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and
0: um, so you're the first guest of season two and I kind of realized coincidental pattern that for season one premiere i had vanessa vicaria on Mm. who's a mentor in my career Mm -hmm. and now in this premiere episode i have you and you are also a mentor to me (laughs) so i feel like this is a tradition that i should start Mm. with the premiere episodes for those listening i was a graduate student here at u of t and your lab was one of the ones I was considering, mm-hmm. and I didn't end up joining, but you made such a big effort to stay connected with me mm-hmm. throughout my master's, and then even when I graduated,
1: mm-hmm. you've been
0: such a support for me developing MENT, and so I'm so happy to have you here for our first guest.
1: It's funny, because people can't see my expression right now, but I'm very embarrassed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I really want to recruit you to my lab, <laughs> so it's... it's. Um, It's nice to sort of see you build out your own business and really see success in these quick years.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like because of that, we got to be connected in Mm -hmm. a different way, too. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it works out. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start the way I usually start the podcast episodes, which is with my first question. Mm -hmm. What kind of things interested you when you were younger and what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Ooh, Yeah, Um, I would like to start that I did not care for chemistry when I was younger. Um, but I was really interested in building things and taking little pieces, whether it's math or building materials and putting them together to make something better or different, right? So yeah, I, I thought I wanted to be like an architect when I was younger. Um, and then I started taking organic chemistry. And I realized that, oh, okay, you can really just put molecules together. That's like building something in a different way at the molecular scale yeah
0: yeah chemistry isn't really talked about when we're younger it's more of these big headliner jobs like architecture for example so if you're lawyers yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. so if you're thinking of building things there's only a few examples that you see but it's nice that you are able to find other things like chemistry as you went through right
1: right yeah so i I didn't really realize that until college i guess
0: okay Mm -hmm. well you're Undergrad was in chemistry as well, mm-hmm, though. So mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit how y- you ended up choosing chemistry as your undergrad oh. and what you were thinking during high school?
1: Um, I definitely was not thinking in high school. <laughs> so <laughs> it was more like I went to college and I didn't really know uh, what to take. Mm-hmm. And so all my friends and co- uh, like peers were taking courses for pre-med or something like that mm. so then I took a variety of courses I didn't take the intro uh, like the classical chemistry centered courses mm-hmm. I just took the pre-med courses and I really enjoyed it and because of that I switched into a chemistry degree oh okay right so you know how like a lot of schools will have a you know organic chemistry for chemists and yeah general chemistry for chemists I didn't take any of that okay because right? I didn't know what I was doing yeah um, but then afterwards after taking those courses, I actually saw a sign on campus about research internships uh, about nanomaterials mm. and so I applied to that and that's that was my first research experience okay mm-hmm.
0: And even before this I also wanted to ask or even mention how you're coming from the states as well mm-hmm. so your education, and everything was in the was in States. the US. Yeah. So when you were going through high school and you were choosing what you were going to do for university, obviously the States has a lot <laughs> of amazing schools that right. a lot of people from all around the world want to come to, but you being in the States, that could be one of your first options that you're thinking of. So were you intentionally applying to top tier schools? Was that a goal for mm-hmm. you?
1: Yeah, again, uh, I would say I didn't really know what I was doing uh, in high school. So I really, I, I was fortunate to really grow up in California mm-hmm. where there's a lot of very good public schools. So I really applied to San Jose State, um, UC Berkeley, because those were schools near my house. Mm. But I, I didn't actually know a lot about what makes a very good school outside right. of California. Um So I think I was just lucky, and and I think being close to a very good public school is something that really changed my career. Yeah. Um, That's why I think public schools are awesome, because it really uplifts people coming from different types of backgrounds, and they can really uh, take charge of what they want to do with their life.
0: Yeah, because you ended up going to UC Berkeley, which is... Mm -hmm one of the really well-known schools in right. the states yeah, so yeah. i was interested in hearing about the process that you might have gone through to make yourself a standout candidate because it is competitive and it is hard to get into you
1: know i think i did well in my courses i wasn't valedictorian or anything like that but i did well in my courses i wrote a really weird uh entrance essay mm. i wish i could find it i really should dig through berkeley to see if they have a record about it it was like some some artistic metaphor or something about a couch or or something like it was really weird interesting um so i think i was really trying to be true to myself but i I had pretty good grades mostly as uh i did some volunteer work but not too much because Mm -hmm. my parents didn't let me do a lot of volunteer work Mm Um, So I would say back then it was very grade-centric that really allowed me to get through. That's interesting, though. I always
0: like hearing when people say that they didn't go above what they needed to to get into a good school because it kind of makes it feel a bit more attainable to everyone else, too.
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, And I think times are different Mm -hmm. now. Like now, so many people have resources to do lots of different things, and I... I'm guessing probably what got me through for admissions, besides my grades uh, at the time, was sort of my essay and mm-hmm. just writing very true to myself. And yeah. Writing a very weird essay. <laughs> That's good. Uh, insight, so it's a though. little bit different, right? Yeah. Rather than writing a sort of a standard essay that, you know, anybody else could have written, I sort of wrote something that came from my heart.
0: Mm -hmm. And then how was UC Berkeley for chemistry? Usually at this point, I ask about the landscape of the program, but we have so much to cover. So Mm -hmm. I'll just kind of generally ask, did you feel like you gained certain values and resources from UC Berkeley in chemistry compared to maybe other schools if you had gone elsewhere?
1: Um I think Berkeley is tough. <laughs> um, you you know you realize you're in this huge class with hundreds of other students who are all equally if not more smart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you just realize there's it you, you can be it can be a very competitive atmosphere. But then you realize as you progress in the career at Berkeley, there's different forms of success and Mm. different types of smartness, which you don't necessarily know coming from high school. So I think it was overwhelming at first for someone like me, but at the same time, uh, I feel that I became more resilient and sort of adapted to my learning environment. Mm -hmm.
0: And then you mentioned how you came across that poster for the research program. Mm -hmm. So my other question for you was, did you do any internships or research programs Mm -hmm. during your undergrad to kind of help you understand more about chemistry and if this was something for you?
1: Yeah, so actually that first research internship and all my research uh, for the remaining time at Berkeley was all in electrical engineering. Okay. So that poster was a nano program. I applied for it and... uh, I think I wrote something very specific about nano and the person going through the files was very attracted to my essay. And so I joined an electrical engineering lab, Professor su J. King Liu, and uh, I didn't really do what you would call classical chemistry. Mm. Uh, So I thought about etch rates in silicon-based devices. So nothing that you would really call chemistry uh, from a research perspective but really it was chemistry because I was understanding how to etch a material over time and how those rates change when you have nanostructures or nano channels right um, but I mean that internship gave me I had a really great mentor a graduate mentor really encouraged me to do different types of internship even though I probably could have been more productive mm. at staying there in the summer He encouraged me to apply for an internship at MIT. Uh, I got in, and so I joined a metallurgy lab, Professor Christopher Hsu at MIT in material science. And I learned how to make different types of alloys with ball milling. So really, again, to me, it's chemistry of materials, but not what you would think of when you think about chemistry research. Yeah,
0: was Mm -hmm. there any part of you thinking that you wanted to pursue engineering then afterwards because you were doing these engineering-based projects?
1: Yeah, I think at this stage, even as an undergraduate, I sort of realized it didn't really matter what my degree was in. It was, you know, everything is sort of interdisciplinary, right? Yeah. I was in an electrical engineering lab, but I was doing some sort of, um, you know, chemical engineering re- research in the sense of trying to figure out kinetics mm-hmm. of um, movement of molecules inside and out. But it's also chemistry because we're literally etching materials. Um, so I, I, I stuck on my path with chemistry because I didn't want to spend another year retaking a bunch of different mm-hmm. engineering courses. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just stayed with chemistry. But yeah. it, was, it was really interesting that those experiences in engineering sort of showed me that there's opportunity to bring more chemistry perspectives into these fields of research. And so that's why I ended up doing a PhD in chemistry instead mm. of something like, material science and engineering.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about for your PhD. Were you thinking of engineering? But that makes complete sense.
1: Yeah. Sort of seeing where the gaps are and. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm. I am interested in electronics, but maybe if I learn and gain some experience in a different field, I can bring that back to electronics. Yeah. It's so true.
0: And we've had someone on the podcast before with mm-hmm. the chemistry background, and we talked about the same things. You know, mm-hmm. chemistry is the foundation of of everything Mm -hmm. so it's (laughs) essential science (laughs) yeah it has to it relates to everything Mm -hmm. so you can really branch off and go wherever Mm -hmm. from there so it makes sense that you're able to pull in materials and engineering Mm -hmm. so then as you were wrapping up your undergrad experience Mm -hmm. what were you thinking then for for postgrad, you were thinking you wanted to continue with chemistry more. How did you kind of go about your options, though?
1: Yeah, so so at that time, actually, my dad became very ill. I don't mm. know if you know that. Um, and so I couldn't go to graduate school. Okay. So I, I found a job nearby. Um, I worked at the Molecular Foundry at Berkeley, which is a national lab near campus, and I sort of tried to support my family. Yeah. Um, physically. Being there emotionally, but also financially uh, for two years. And then um, after that, actually, my dad passed away. Then I went to graduate school. Okay. Right. So at that point, I was sort of surveying what types of jobs I can get with a chemistry undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. And there were quite a bit of nice technician jobs, especially in the Bay Area in California. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to do was sort of beyond technician work and really dream up new materials and make brand new properties so that those type of jobs even though I could do it with lots of experience having the PhD really gave me a, a large stepping stepping platform I don't know a big step yeah. forward in yeah. that direction plus More I, options yeah, yeah. And, and especially for my research experience i didn't have a lot of experience in chemistry Mm. so i really wanted to do a phd in chemistry at at that point okay Mm -hmm. and then
0: so you ended up going to columbia university Mm -hmm. which again is a top tier school an ivy league school Mm -hmm. so at that point were were you did you have a better sense of the academic system at that point thinking okay i do want to continue being at top tier schools or was it again just you know wherever your heart led you especially with phds it's yeah. really about who you're working with too right
1: yeah i mean i applied to a variety of places mm-hmm. and i was really attracted to Columbia because there was a new assistant professor working there professor luis campos and he's amazing
0: oh. and
1: so i was really attracted for working mm-hmm. for this new person who has crazy ideas both scientifically as well as from teaching and there was an a big opportunity to learn it, it's not necessarily the same, but felt like a startup environment, right? Instead of working in an established lab, you're you're working with someone brand new, trying to figure things out, so your input can have a um, big impact on how the lab is, and it's just sort of new and exciting and a sort of a unique experience, Mm -hmm. uh, because not a new professor starts every year, right? I will admit, I was very privileged to get into these sort of graduate programs, and I was drawn to going to a place that had the resources to succeed, yeah. but that said, a lot of other schools um, do have great resources, and yeah. it's, it's not only places that you would necessarily call prestigious, yeah, right? So for like, sure. You know, some, like, I remember NYU um, had this beautiful GPC system that we didn't have at Columbia at the yeah. time, right? So, you know, uh, it doesn't always correlate with what you associate, but... For me, in this new lab, it had sort of everything I wanted. Yeah. And I do want to talk
0: a little bit about how a PhD program works in chemistry because mm. you're the first person on the podcast who has completed a PhD. Okay. Uh-huh. And I feel like sometimes when I would tell people, oh, you know, I'm doing my master's or I'm thinking about my PhD they kind of thought it was just an extension of undergrad they thought it was just more courses more studying Mm -hmm. and you know that I was still going to be at the library Mm 24-7 studying mm -hmm. but it's actually not like that at all Mm -hmm. um, at least in science and specifically in chemistry you do have some courses yes um, not to the extent as Of undergrad Mm -hmm. but your main focus is working in a lab Mm -hmm. with a thesis project or Mm -hmm. thesis question in mind Mm -hmm. and it is a job essentially Mm -hmm. you know you're there typically let's say nine to five and Mm -hmm. you're working in a lab and you have a salary Mm -hmm. and these things and um but you're still referred to as a student because you're learning all Mm -hmm. these skills at a higher level Mm -hmm. so I wanted to hear a little bit about your perspective with that, too, and mm-hmm. how it was at Columbia and maybe the research that you were working on. And were you still bringing in um, engineering or materials into your research? A little research? Bit. Yeah. Um,
1: I guess to start it off, I would say you did a great job of explaining yeah. what you do in a PhD. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess the first thing I'd like to say is almost everywhere, uh, any reputable PhD or master's program in chemistry, uh, you will not pay for any of it, You right? Like mm-hmm. it will be accounted for in some sort of stipend that the professor that you work with will pay, pay you. So you'll get some amount of money and that totally varies on what school you are, especially now there's a huge movement in the U.S. as well, right? So you get some sort of stipend, you, you take classes as well, and these classes are not like undergraduate. They often are very small and there are more deep dives into the topics that you will be doing in your PhD or master's. Then you do some TAing, um, so that's a really good aspect for trying to gauge how well you know the content. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to teach something is very different than being able to take an exam and get an A. Mm. So it really hones your technical skills there as well. And then a big portion of your PhD or master's is doing some sort of research program, uh, research project. So I sort of see uh, the research as well as training of, uh, you know, writing and reading literature as part of the core unique part of being a PhD and master's student. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah I almost wish that it's almost more encouraged like as a high Mm -hmm. school student nobody ever talked about PhD programs because I think they just felt like you're just going to be in school forever like for 10 years but it's not school work Mm -hmm. essentially you're Mm -hmm. gaining all these new skills and you are working as a professional and it helps build your resume.
1: Yeah, it's true. I think I think some people would definitely benefit from knowing what the PhD in chemistry yeah. involves, especially be- the fact that it's free and like law school or going yeah. to med school, right? But I also think there doesn't need, not everyone needs to go to a PhD, yeah, right? Like sure. PhD sort of gives you a head start in jobs, but after 10 years, I don't know, your first job, 10 years of experience versus five years of yeah. experience plus a PhD could be somewhat equivalent yeah that's a good point too so um yeah i agree i I think it's important to let more people know about the phd in chemistry especially we want to bring diverse minds uh, to the research program Mm -hmm. and especially those who don't know what a phd is Mm -hmm. but i still don't think everyone needs to do a phd so i i don't want to expand the phd so that it's almost expected that you have yes. it, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. So as you were going through your PhD, what mm. were you thinking about for afterwards? Were you thinking of going into industry? Mm. Did you always have this professor path in your right. mind?
1: Right, right, right. So, so when I was in those two years at the Molecular Foundry with uh, Dr. Ronald Zuckerman, he put the idea in my head about professorship. Mm. Um, but I wasn't really set on it and and the big reason was i knew i had to help take care of my family financially and you know industry pays way better yeah um so i was very fortunate my sister sort of uh took care of my mom mm. back in california so i was able to go do my phd and during that time i was interested in a lot of things and and definitely being a professor was in the back of my mind because i really enjoyed seeing what setting up a lab was like columbia was really nice because they they introduce you to lots of different types of jobs like mm-hmm. patent law and they even yeah. had a program on consulting and uh, prep students for that so there are a lot of things that I was drawn to um, especially even doing a startup right because coming from the Bay Area there's yeah. tons of startups so being part of that is super exciting like mm-hmm. oh you know you would hear somebody join a startup and then like three years later they're a millionaire it was crazy (laughs) so you know that that was definitely very alluring for me um but uh yeah i you know i sort of decided to do a a postdoc because i wanted to reconnect what i did in undergraduate in electrical engineering with what i learned in chemistry Mm. with my phd so that's why i joined janan bao's group doing organic electronics just to see you know really merging those two concepts in my mind um and then, and then during my postdoc, that's when I became very interested in mentoring, and that's why I want to become a professor. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So it was a, a little late, but definitely the idea was floating in my mind early on. Yeah,
0: because on paper, it kind of seems like you had that mindset from the start. How it goes from undergrad, and then PhD later on, and then postdoc. So it kind of seems uh, like yeah. it was a plan. Yeah, no, like,
1: <laughs> that's just <that's> science communication. <laughs> Make a good story out of what you have, right? Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's more like, I didn't know what I was really doing, but mm-hmm. I would hear advice from from mentors and stuff who kind of pointed me in the right direction, and here I am now.
0: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. refreshing, though, because Sometimes people think they get to a certain position, like where you're at right now as Mm. a professor, with such a set mindset. But it's refreshing to hear that at several points of your academic career, you didn't really know what you Mm. were doing, as Mm. you said. Mm -hmm. And then how come you felt like a postdoc was the the best way to merge, as you said, the engineering and the chemical or chemistry components Mm. from your previous Degrees? How come you felt like the postdoc was the best way?
1: Yeah, it it really came down to this one exact professor. Mm. I, I mean, it wasn't that I could go be a postdoc with anyone else and be able to merge that. Okay, she was she's like a world leader in this area, and that made it very exciting. She's one of those people that's really pushing the envelope in this mm. organic electronics regime. I actually i I had dinner with her. A year before I knew I wanted to do a oh. postdoc, actually, my PI, Luis Campo, set up the dinner. He was like, oh, you should sit here. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I sat next to Janan, and she was sort of telling me. Of course, I knew who she was and sort of what her research was about. But she was sort of giving me advice on, you know, what it's like to be a woman and how she how she was setting up her lab uh, over a decade ago. Now it's probably 18 years or so, Um and that was the moment where I was like, wow, I want to work for this woman. She's so inspiring, plus she does organic chemistry, plus she does electronics. So it just felt like the trifecta for Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so she
0: was at Stanford, or is at right. Stanford, yeah. so that's where your postdoc was. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And you
0: kind of already mentioned this, how um, like Berkeley was in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. Stanford's in Palo Alto, so mm-hmm. it's really known for the tech industry. Mm-hmm. You mentioned startups. I was just wondering if there was like any way while you were there doing chemical engineering if there was a way to like interact with what was going on in in palo alto in right. that kind of industry yeah there, there were
1: a lot of events for yeah. sure there's even a program that i want to apply to but i didn't have time mm-hmm. where they would bring together scientists and people from business or make some scientists enrolled in these business programs um, and you know of course there was a constant stream of industry support coming to events such as Mm EWARE, and you interact with different types of colleagues Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm.
0: and then can you also talk a little bit about what it's like being a postdoc and and what this means because Mm. even that some just like how i mentioned for a phd people don't really understand what that is they might think it's just again more studying because they think that it's within an academic institution
1: yeah I, i kind of Refer to postdocs kind of like doing residency for med mm. school, right? You go to med school, that's kind of like doing your PhD, and after you finish medical school, you have to do some sort of residency where you gain even more skills. So that's like being a postdoc. You you finish your PhD, you have your you've gained some sort of expertise in a the field. Then you go ahead and join another group, or sometimes you stay in the same group. And either you start a new project direction or you use your skills in a new area of mm-hmm. research. And it's a temporary job and it should be a temporary job yeah. um, just for a short period of time.
0: OK, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good metaphor, too, with the mm-hmm. residency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then as you were going through your postdoc, did you start to set your sights more so on prof- professorships since postdoc is a sometimes could be? Or usually as a stepping stone to right, the right. professorship, it
1: can be. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I definitely finished my PhD very confident. Um, I you know I didn't have any nature or science paper first off. Mm. Papers like that, no jacks. <laughs> you mm. know, none of these sort of classical markers for what would make a professor coming mm-hmm. out of chemistry. But I was very proud of what I did, um, and I gained a diverse research experience. So I came into the postdoc. Um, very intimidated by my peers because, you know, I did well for sure, but I didn't have, you know, tons of publications in the way that uh, other postdocs did in this lab that I joined, in Janan's lab. So, yeah, my, my colleagues, other postdocs, you know, all had nature science papers and like 40 papers even. Um, and I definitely, my, my dreams of being a faculty. <laughs> Really got dampened Oh, that. wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But then after some time, I, I started, I, I talked to my PI, on Bao, and, you know, I told her I really enjoyed mentoring. That was, like, a big reason why I think she hired me as well, and I got to mentor a lot more graduate students, and I really enjoyed that. Really working with people who had a lot of potential but just needed some guidance, and let them find who they want to be and, and really accelerate their progress as a graduate student. And being able to do that in a, a small little bubble of people that I mentored who it was just much more enjoyable and and that that was when I was like, okay, I can do this. Like I may not have nature or science papers, but um I'm pretty good at mentoring. Yeah. Um and so I should give it a go, you know. Yeah. and I, I mean, that aside, I did I think very well in the end like I had lots of papers by the time I applied for faculty um but I was still very insecure because you know there were people who had more papers than me better papers than me mm-hmm. um so really I had to just sort of focus on what I thought was my selling point and why I wanted to be a faculty rather than giving into my insecurities and yeah. thinking about um these sort of metrics. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I can totally relate to that because at so many points of my academic career, I was always thinking, I don't have enough papers published. My research isn't progressing and everyone else, they're like on to their next project. Right. So yeah. it's so common in chemistry, but it's so nice to see you come out on the other side of
1: that. Yeah. So it really comes to my way of thinking about how to define success, mm. right? because like, I think when you're young, like, like maybe high school, your metric of success might be like straight A's because that's sort of the only thing that you have, right? Mm-hmm. But as you get older and people are sort of moving in their own career path, there's no such thing as one, one thing that is, su- is considered successful, mm-hmm. right? So even as faculty now, like what makes a successful professor? Mm-hmm. Is it someone who publishes a lot? Is it someone who has a huge group? Is it someone who has a lot of startups? Is it someone who has a lot of industrial partnerships? Um, is it someone who's very thoughtful about mentorship? Yeah. Like, you can't do it all, right? Yeah. And so you sort of have to pick what metrics are most important to you and prioritize that and let that define success for yourself. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree, mm-hmm. too, because it it's
0: so easy to get caught up in comparing. Yeah, yeah. And, and
1: it's like, I do it too and it's mm-hmm. just my insecurities right yeah Um. so I, I really try to think about what I care a lot about and focus on that and sometimes it's like wow Helen is going really far on this science communication when like when I'm training my mentees you know mm-hmm. um, but like I really do think that's something that's important and translatable which is you know none not none but most students are not going to become professors so right. why train them to be professors we should right. train them to have skills that are uh, applicable to lots of different types of jobs yeah and
0: well the way you're prioritizing things too allows you to kind of help the industry evolve mm. because if we're all just so focused on how many papers we're publishing mm. it, we're pigeonholing ourselves mm-hmm. so being able to branch out and show that you can be successful in other ways I feel like just allows for that evolution and you know that's the whole basis of everything. You can't have things the same forever. Yeah,
1: and, and there will be people who are very good at those sort of things. Yeah, um, It's just I've sort of come to terms with, like, what do I want in the end? Of course, I, I need some papers because I need funding. Yeah, <laughs> and, and my students need to show that they've done some sort of work, right? Yeah. But I, I would like what what I think is success is, like, when a student leaves my group, they're very well trained mm-hmm. and anyone who hires them like sure they don't have expertise mm-hmm. in blah 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 But they can learn very quickly. Yeah, they know how to learn they know how to communicate with their colleagues mm-hmm. um, And they know how to manage collaborations and working with others. So mm-hmm. it really depends on What you want to emphasize? Um, yeah. but that's sort of where I am.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing though to hear what you want for your students and mm-hmm. what how you envision their future well, so now wrapping up your postdoc part of your life and then now looking into professor options for mm-hmm. yourself. Mm. So how was that process? What did you go through? How
1: did you end up at the University of oh, Toronto? Yeah <laughs> You know, that, that's a horrible process for many people. Yeah um, There's so many qualified people, and it just is a combination of, you, know, being prepared, um, writing, good proposals, mm-hmm. timing, fit. Um, So many things that are so out of your control, right? Um, So, yeah, I I sort of put my package out there. um, And I applied, like, all over the U.S. and and Canada as well. And then after that, uh, since the job is, like, just getting an interview is pretty competitive, or I found it competitive, Mm -hmm. you only get a subset of interviews. Mm -hmm. Let's say, I don't remember how many I got. Um, Let's say 10. And then then of those 10, you interview, but then only a few of those schools, if any, will give you an offer, right? Mm-hmm. So I only had, like, a, like less than a handful of schools who had offers, and I was choosing between those schools, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was choosing between schools, there, there was, like, a lot of considerations that came to my mind. Um, U of T came up because, you know, I was really drawn to the fact that, well, it was in Canada in the sense that it was a public school so even here at U of T in terms of the undergraduates you get all types of undergraduates it really reminds me of Berkeley you have yeah. those who are living at home those who are living by themselves and um, and people coming from all parts of the world even mm-hmm. so I enjoyed being and, and working around those types of people mm-hmm. U of T you know I'm very privileged to be here there's there's lots of resources as you know mm-hmm. and uh, I also really enjoyed talking to my colleagues that were here i also really like the city of toronto I, I you know previously lived in san francisco and, and new york and now i felt like toronto had a really nice mixture of ease of living um compared to those places mm-hmm. but also it's a city so like after work i can like Ask like Hi is a new professor who joined um, U of T and be like Hey Hi you want to go eat something afterwards yeah. or something and I really like that casualness because that's that was something I saw a lot of when I was at Columbia mm. and I was really missing that
0: mm-hmm. Yeah so there's a lot of factors that drew you here then Yeah because yeah. at first I thought Wow that's a big transition to go from the states. And all your schooling in the States, even though you moved around, mm-hmm. got to see totally different landscapes, you know, California versus New mm-hmm. York, but, you know, coming to a different country is a whole other story.
1: Yeah, it is. Even though it's Canada, it's it's really close by, it's still a mm-hmm. different country, so you, there's a lot of logistics that yeah. um, I had to deal with, so I, I definitely have more empathy towards international students. But I also like the sense of adventure, of going to somewhere unexpected and new, like, It's harder, right? Because I don't understand the granting system here. Well, now I do, or starting to. Um, But a few, two years ago, I didn't. And it is intimidating, but I I like the challenge.
0: Yeah, and that's how you grow, right? more diverse experiences you have, the more you can do. And I would love to hear your experience in starting up a new lab, because Mm. I can imagine that's so daunting. I would love to hear just the process of it from determining your research topics to getting funding to getting lab members like how I know you already said it was a little bit intimidating but in general how did you navigate your way through that?
1: Yeah so you sort of formulate what your research area is going to be during the faculty proposal stage Mm. so I sort of did that when I was a postdoc. Okay. Um, So I knew what way I was going to go and and coming in Canada there's sort of Not too many, but there's sort of set things that I needed to apply to. So my first year, it was like, do A, B, C, D, and you're set to go. So those parts were less intimidating to me. Mm. And then really it comes down to recruiting the right graduate students to help you get a lab set up. It just requires a lot of patience and, and communication with the students to say, like, I am trying my best, and I know you are trying your best, and together we will see where it will go. And so
0: now I feel like this is a good time to introduce Team Tran, which okay. is your lab. Could you talk a little bit about your lab's research and what you're focusing on?
1: Oh, yeah. So the group logo sort of represents what Team Tran is all about. We're interested in sort of taking basic building blocks, so these single triangles here, mm-hmm. and bringing them together, maybe through self assembly. And we think that by doing this, you can get new types of properties, right? So you p- take these simple triangles together even though they're just triangles, when you organize them in a certain way, you get these emergent properties. And then ultimately, we want these properties to maybe be recycled back to the starting materials. Mm. Um, So in my group, we think about making electronic materials that have simple building blocks that when come together, lead to these emergent properties, maybe um, bio-based or you know more com- biocompatible. but then in the end they should be able to degrade or even be recycled
0: and you're cross-appointed with chemical engineering here right too. right right yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
1: you ended up being able to
0: bring in engineering yeah, just a little bit yeah yeah that's <laughs> yeah. really nice i also want to talk about really what a professor entails because oh, again yeah. <laughs> i feel like people have this idea just like how we talked about for phd and whatnot they have this idea that being a professor is just teaching and lecturing. Right, right, right. Now we've touched on, you know, obviously there's a research and a lab component mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. So at least in science or chemistry, you're running your own lab. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, there's so much more, you know, you're attending conferences mm-hmm. internationally to speak on your research, to make connections mm-hmm. with people around the world possibly collaborating with mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. doing international research, there's so much. So you're bringing in you know, public speaking, you can even bring in things like consulting, mm-hmm. sitting on boards mm-hmm. of committees mm-hmm. and outreach, mm-hmm. like the list just goes on. Right, um, right. And grant writing, yeah. I must <laughs> say. I know that professors do a lot of that right. too. So I just wanted to hear your experience as a professor, what really makes being a professor and how it's so multifaceted And also how you balance everything.
1: There's different types of professors. There are professors who really focus on teaching and doing research on how to improve teaching. Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, some professors who are like me who do a combination of teaching and research. So I'll sort of speak on what um, research stream professors do. So, you know, I definitely teach both undergraduates and graduates. Those parts, that part of the job is almost more obvious to a lot of people, right? It's like, oh, you're a professor, How? what do you teach, right? Mm-hmm. The other part is, is the research side, and this is kind of like, you know, if you were, so this is sort of like you starting your own startup, mm-hmm. but you're the CEO, you're the CFO, you're the yeah. COO, you're the HR as well, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's like sort of doing a little bit of everything in this job. Um, the primary goal, I think, is to train graduate students. Mm-hmm. In addition to all that, there's a huge service component as well. Like, I'm on a lot of committees, listening to like who wins this award, who wins that award, or how do I uh, start this conference up, or how do I organize this symposium. I also like to do a lot of outreach, so it's just something that I think is very important um, from my own personal history. Like, that's why I applied to college was because some random college student or graduate student came to my high school and told me about college right
0: that was kind of my next question then because I know that you're very passionate Mm. about outreach in STEM Mm. specifically and you've talked about how you prioritize mentorship and all Mm. of these things can you talk about maybe your most cherished initiative within your all your outreach initiatives
1: Mm, my most cherished I mean maybe I'm Bit of a millennial and I care a lot about that one on one experience Mm -hmm. and hands on direct communication. So, you know, this is an initiative that we're just getting up and running. It's called Pop. um, Polymers Outreach Program. And what we're doing right now is inviting middle school girls, so around the age of is a huge range, I think like eight to 13 you know Mm -hmm. and they're coming to lash miller chemical laboratories they're doing a few polymer specific experiments okay so i I think the reason why i like this is you know i think it's a bit more commonplace to have these general outreach events but Mm -hmm. having that one-on-one experience where by matching a student with graduate students they have to talk to these graduate mm-hmm. students it's a lot of insight that they get a yeah. lot of exposure right and yeah. it's also good for the graduate students because yeah. they have to learn how to talk to a 10 year old yes. right yeah how do you talk about your science in a way that's very simple for the the public to mm-hmm. understand and it's good for the the middle school girls because they're like oh my god look at this phd student who's spending mm-hmm. their weekend or mm-hmm. uh, with me mm-hmm. they really care and um, I need to show up too right yeah um, and in this event we also give everyone lab coats and goggles gloves so they're really dressing up like a scientist and actually working in real laboratories yeah. right? so I, I having that experience um, being so immersive I think is very unique um, mm-hmm. unfortunately it can't be scaled to thousands of students mm-hmm. but that's why it's my sort of cherished program
0: yeah mm-hmm that's great to hear though and I feel like that would have been something that would have even been helpful for me when I was Mm. that age too because I didn't know anything about what science was you know you have these stigmas you think it's just like mixing things
1: you don't really know what it is yeah no no totally but like Chemistry is everywhere, but specifically polymer chemistry is everywhere, right? And um, I talk a lot about that in in my course as well.
0: And I also wanted to ask what advice you would give to someone who is on their path of becoming a professor.
1: oh Okay, wherever
0: they might be, maybe Uh you know they have it dead set in their mind from undergrad. Maybe they're finishing their
1: postdoc Mm -hmm. and they're starting to apply. There's three quotes that I really like. So. Mm I think they're from Ron Zuckerman and also Rachel O'Reilly, who's in UK. So number one is define success for yourself. We sort mm-hmm. of talked about that already. So figuring out what you think is important rather than, you know, whatever someone else is doing. And sort of related to that is number two, don't follow the shiny object. Mm. So, you know, don't always go for like, oh, that that Ivy League school, everyone, i got to do that. No find what's right for you. So mm-hmm. it's kind of similar to defining your own success, right? And knowing what you actually want rather than what other people are telling you want. what you want. And then one thing that um, Professor Rachel O'Reilly told me recently, which I really liked, was you don't have to be confident. You just have to be brave. Mm. So, you know, I think often, you know, I can easily get intimidated. Let's say I'm scared to give this talk in front of these important people, but I, it's like someone tell me, like, you are confident, you're doing great. It's like, no, nah, I can't just build, I can't, I can't muster confidence, right? That mm-hmm. comes from years of training, right, and experience. But, like, you, I can muster braveness, mm-hmm. right? Like, in this moment, it's like, you can do it. I'm like, you can psych yourself up yes. for that. Yeah. So I really like that mindset shift because mm-hmm. it really helps me accomplished goals like Mm -hmm. yeah I might not be the most qualified person so I'm not that confident to apply for this award but I'm brave enough to apply for this award or brave enough to you know try something new in the lab so I like that mindset shift
0: yeah, especially, like, not being the person that tells yourself no, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I feel like those three quotes or ideas mm-hmm. are helpful, not just for people who are on the path to becoming a professor, but anyone, oh, yeah. and especially women in science, too, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, to end off, my last question for you mm-hmm. is, what are your hopes for your future career development, and what do you hope to achieve?
1: Oh, well, I mean... Definitely on the scientific side, I would someday, like, I like to achieve my imagination, which is creating electronics in the body in new, weird ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I guess, professionally or non-professionally, I would like to spend more energy doing science outreach, with the general public. So I think I want to be able to reach the people who aren't, they don't have science on the forefront of their minds or don't have parents that are pushing them into these mm. summer or weekend projects, yeah. right? So I, I think that's something that I, I have a secret project that I'm working on nice. <laughs> and, and and maybe in the few, next few years, I, I would like it to manifest and, sort of build out my career also in that way yeah. um, beyond the scientific aspect yeah mm-hmm.
0: I relate to that too one mm-hmm. of my passions is just getting exposure for people who don't right. have it yeah because I felt like I feel like that comes a lot from my experience too I didn't have exposure to these things
1: right let's put chemistry out there for yeah. everyone to see and for them to interact with and then realize they like it not realizing they like chemistry and then mm-hmm. doing these outreach events yeah right? like i never went to any of these outreach events as a kid so yes. you know who am i i'm trying to target little helen you know yeah so, <laughs> same yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh well
0: this has been such a great conversation mm-hmm. especially even now just hearing your path like i said on paper it seems so linear mm-hmm. and it seemed like mm-hmm. that definition of success like you did mm-hmm. all the steps and now you're successful but now really hearing mm-hmm. your path and and everything that you learned and what really drives you, not just becoming the status of a professor, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. all these other things and seeing how you've been able to define your success. I feel like it's been such a great conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> taking the time to chat with me about these things. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for coming on.
0: Thank you so much to Professor Helen Tran for coming on meant to be for our Season 2 premiere episode. I really appreciate Helen opening up to explain all the different layers to her journey that you wouldn't know just from reading her resume. It was also great learning about the various roles and responsibilities that being a professor entails and how Helen defines success in her career. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation and found it both informative and inspirational. In the episode description, you can find links to Helen's social media handles and her group website where you can learn more about her lab's research. This season on the podcast includes six episodes, and we will be featuring several guests from different fields. Next week, we will have a guest from a psychology background, currently working as a therapist, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, follow us on Projects on all social media platforms for updates and more mentorship resources. Thank you so much for listening.